This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. Hello. Thank you so much for joining us for a new episode of Pantsuit Politics. It's going to be a strange one today. We embrace our strangeness sometimes because as we are recording, we are still awaiting information on the midterm elections. We're going to talk about what we do know in the first segment. And then after that, Sarah is going to share a very personal account of her trip to Colorado to experiment with Kana, which is something that she wanted to do to celebrate her 40th birthday. And then outside of politics, we're just going to continue that conversation to see if Sarah has convinced me that this might be something I would like to welcome into my existence. (laughs) In our conversation, we talk about times of transition, and that's where we are right now. We're transitioning into the holiday season. We have two pieces of content we think you would be interested in. First, we have our holiday gift guide, Sarah and Beth's favorite things throughout the year including a feature of our partnership with ABLE, which is offering all of our listeners 40% off site-wide with the code Pantsuit40. So you should check out that gift guide. You should check out ABLE. Also, many of us will be heading out of town to spend time with our families next week for Thanksgiving. And we just wanted to share that we have two books that tackle difficult conversations with those in your lives. I think you're wrong, but I'm listening. A Guide to Gracefield Political Conversations. And now what? How to move forward when we're divided about basically everything. So we would love it if you would check out those books or audiobooks to prepare for next week when we're also going to have some special content surrounding Thanksgiving conversations. Up next, we're going to talk about the midterms and we're going to talk about Sarah's drug use. Now, listen, this is a strange episode and very different from what we often do here, although I hope that it is as interesting and deep as what we usually do. But also, we just want to say our hearts are in the right place with these conversations mm-hmm. They will land differently with everyone listening. We appreciate the grace that you show us when something doesn't land exactly right with you. And we look forward to hearing from you about your reactions to this episode. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15.
We are special breakfast people here at Pantsu Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Sarah, we are recording off schedule. It is 6.17 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday night. I cannot remember the last time we recorded on a Saturday night. But we are here because tomorrow morning we leave for Raleigh, North Carolina to speak at a conference. We're very excited about that. We'll tell you about it when we get back. We wanted to check in, though, on the midterms because we're still waiting around on you, Nevada. Love you. Waiting. Take your time. It's okay. It's really still so weird out there. It snowed here today. It was 80 degrees two days ago. Mm -hmm. Last night, my children attended a carnival where they went through a haunted house. Today, it snowed. I'm decorating for Christmas, and my husband's making Thanksgiving dinner because we're going to be out of town for Thanksgiving. It's just, it's like, it's weird. It's weird politically out there. It's a very transitional moment that we're in. It's all very transitional. It's a very transitional moment. When my husband has not been cooking, he has been on the bird app, breathlessly following counting in Nevada. At one point today, he told me that the culinary union cured like 7,000 ballots of 14,000 ballots, like just calling people and making sure everything was right and like getting the ballots to count. It's just bananas reporting. But this is also weird, along with the snow, because the bird app is melting down in front of our very eyes. Elon Musk has lost his damn mind. And he's taking Twitter with him. Well, I was going to ask, is Nicholas sure that he's following Nevada reporters or is he following people pretending to be Nevada reporters? When we see companies lose billions of dollars because of hilarious spoof tweets, it makes me feel like we are living in an alternate universe. And I I lived through the whole Lehman Brothers mess. I remember when paper took the economy down, but this is something else altogether. Yeah, we're like in the upside down right now. I mean, I am delighted. I am delighted in this particular writing. I don't know if we're writing ourselves. I don't know if we're flipping upside down. I don't know what direction we're in, but I'm delighted with it. I just want to be on the record as saying I'm very happy. I don't know how many like Republican postmortems I can read about how panicked and angry and frustrated they are. I have not reached the limit yet is all I can tell you here on Saturday. I've not reached the limit of how many of those articles I can read. I will read more of them. Whoever wants to write them, I will click them and I will read them. Can't get enough of it. It's just wild out there, man. It's wild. 
I feel so sorry for the people at Twitter who are employees oh trying God. to do their jobs Who's and left? work in this chaos <sighs> as Elon Musk goes about writing a one-man how-not-to-manage-a-large-company textbook. Shoot. So I don't feel totally delighted. It all feels very unstable to me. It's almost like this is how the world ends, right? Not with a bang, but with a series of ill-advised tweets. Like, what are we doing? Well, I'm just delighted because it does feel like things are righting themselves. It's a little it's a little wacky right now. I'm not telling you I don't feel sort of like you're on one of those shifting floors at a carnival. I just, it feels like we're shifting back in the right directions. It feels like our sliding door moment in 2016 is like it's warping back to to where things should have been. I don't know. There's a non-zero chance that Democrats keep the House of Representatives. What? I know. The carnival floor is an interesting metaphor to me because I kind of feel like I'm on the teacups ride. You know the teacups mm. ride where you spin in the teacup and then your plate spins with all the other plates mm-hmm. and so there are multiple mm-hmm. levels of spinning going on and you tell yep. yourself, I'm supposed to be having fun. Why do I feel like I'm going to throw up every second? That's where I yep. am right now with all of this. We did get some good, solid, confirmed news out of Arizona. I think it's good news that Mark Kelly has defeated Blake Masters Absolutely. because I think Blake Masters would not have been a good senator for the great state of Arizona. And I think that Mark Kelly has done a good job. I particularly like how Mark Kelly is always willing to say, hello, we do need some better plans on immigration. And I'm Mm -hmm. glad he's going to be there to continue advocating for that. So that seems good. I'm thrilled that the Democrat won the Secretary of State election in Arizona Mm -hmm. because now, however the gubernatorial race turns out, which we don't know as we're recording – Uh, Katie Hobbs is still up in the vote as we're recording, and her lead has been expanding throughout the day. But we don't know how that race is going to end. But even if Carrie Lake is to prevail, there will at least be a check on her as we enter into the next federal election cycle. So that feels good. Again, it's the teacups. It's like there's a lot of good things happening around me, but it is very dizzying. Well, perhaps this shifting reality is a good transition. (laughs) These shifting reality metaphors are a good transition into the rest of our show where I'm going to share my journey to Denver to expand my mind. Yeah, to expand my mind. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality but not salon-priced manicure, Olive & Jean has you covered. We've talked about Olive & Jean's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon-grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are going to last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive & Jean also has press-ons if you want. What I love, though, is that Olive & Jean each season is coming out with new colors, and I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. They say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. 
I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive in June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsu for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second-chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. And now for something entirely different. Entirely different. Or is it? Or is it? Just saying. Because we contain multitudes here, mm-hmm. we want to share with you an experience that Sarah declared on this podcast several years ago she intended to have mm-hmm. as she turned 40. And you have now had the experience, Sarah. So why don't you tell everybody what you did? And then I want you to sort of pause because I have some questions. Okay. Before we get to the actual process, okay? Okay. Um, Just like every other nice white lady, I read Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind. I read all of Michael Pollan's book because we love him, which was about psychedelics. It's a great book. He takes all kinds of psychedelics. He takes LSD. He takes psilocybin, which is mushrooms. He takes ayahuasca. He kind of writes about all the experiences. And the part of the book where I was like, okay, I'm in, is he goes to get a brain scan And he tells the people, hold on a second, let me try something. And all he does is think back on his experience with psilocybin, and it shows up in the brain scan. It quiets as his default mode network, okay? And I thought, okay, I'm in. I'm convinced. That sounds amazing. So when Denver recently decriminalized psilocybin, I reached out to some friends in Denver and said, I'd like to have this experience with psychedelics. Could you lead me in the right direction? Well, where they led me was really great. So what I took is an herb called kana, which is legal in the United States. You can go pick it up at GMC. There's no visual hallucinogenics, and it's more equivalent to MDMA, which is another drug that people are experiencing with in sort of psychological settings um, that brings on sort of a sense of euphoria. And so that is what I finally, after many years of, of trying to get it scheduled for my life since I turned 40, flew to Denver and experienced So you've used the word experience quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And I want to mm-hmm. know when you were hoping for that and anticipating it and planning it, 
Was it more about a physicality? Was there a question you were hoping to answer? What can you can you narrow in for us on what kind of experience you were looking for? I was definitely looking for um, more of a psychological experience. Like I wasn't discouraged when I found out like what I'd be taking wasn't visual hallucinogenics. Like that wasn't some essential part of the the equation, although I would still like to experience that. But I really like the idea of these particular sort of group of substances that can help you quiet your default mode network. Because let me tell you, as you probably understand, as someone who works closely with me, mine is very loud and powerful. Now that has served me well in life. That has served me well in life in lots of ways. But because my sort of thinking brain is such a strong muscle, <laughs> I wanted to quiet it a little bit. And I thought a little little chemical help couldn't hurt. And so I really wanted to go in and, you know, we set this intention in the group I went with. And my intention was to feel, not just think. Now, you might think, Sarah, we hear you cry on this podcast all the time. Sure, Surely you feel. <laughs> I do. I have big feelings. But it's like I kind of wanted to to meet in the middle. Like there are a lot of things I know intellectually about um, sort of how I'm connected to other people and the universe and what we're really here to do and how much control we have. And it's like I know it, but I kind of wanted to slow down enough and feel it. That was sort of my my intention and goal going in. Now, I am a nice white lady who has not read Michael Pollan's book about this. Okay. So tell me this, was your intention to find something that would become a part of your life where you might have this experience more than once? Or were you looking to just like, check this off your list? I tried it. I felt it. I did it. Moving on. Yeah, no, I was not looking to make this a regular part of my life. And there, you know, there were people that I had this experience with that that is, this is a regular part, this sort of journeying is a regular part of their experience. And while I would like to try psilocybin still, like I'm not looking to bring this in as a regular habit. No, no, not at all. And did you have any fear about that? Like, what if I love this and it becomes a problem in my life? No, no. He talks a lot about that in the book, that there's really not a lot of addictive qualities of psychedelics. And so now I was not worried about sort of using it to, to regularly es- escape my life. First of all, I'm not looking to escape my life. Um, and he talks about this a lot too, that when you see the use of these substances in other cultures over long periods of time, they are at a certain stage of life. They're at a certain place, like you're older. They were, that sort of the disruption that happened in the 60s with, with psychedelics is that it was young people and the old people were freaked out. Whereas if you go and look at other cultures, like where they regularly use ayahuasca, this is people, older people introducing it to people reaching middle age, like to sort of put some some more layers and some more understanding as we get further along in life. And I think that's what they're really good at. And so, yeah, I wasn't really worried about that. Okay. So I'm going to back away now. Those are the questions that I wanted to hear about your experience. So why don't you just tell us about what you did and where you did it? So I went to Denver and I um, was lovingly welcomed into this community that does this practice pretty regularly. And I was there for two nights. So I uh, took the drug was sort of early in the evening on Friday. Now, the the big thing for me is, you know, my body is very sensitive to stimulants, and this is a stimulant. And so I was up really late. I lost a lot of sleep. And that is another way my brain quiets itself. So that, like, the physicality of it was very intense for me because I just keep, I sort of keep my physicality of my body pretty tightly controlled. Like, I just feel like as the older I get, 
the narrower the path to flourishing becomes as far as what I can eat and how late I can stay up and what I can take. And so I think my body was like, what, what, what are we doing here, friend? But the first night, I definitely felt that euphoric sense of like, oh my gosh, look at all the people around me who love me and who've loved me my whole life. I felt the presence of my grandfather and my great aunt who cared for me a lot when I was a child and who loved me so deeply. I sent very many loving text messages. You, in fact, got a very loving text message. What did you think when it showed up in your text message? I did. Well, my first thought was, oh, no. She sent this hours ago. Is she going to think I've rejected her? No, see, I was that's just the beauty. Sleeping. No, no, no. See, that's the beauty. It's like you're not out of touch with like how late it is. Like you're not you're not tripping in a way that you are detached from reality. It's just it's just you all that you, that negativity and ego that comes into play. It's just kind of silenced. It's really nice. Yeah. No, I thought it was beautiful. It was so nice to hear from you and and just to know that like. You allowed me into your headspace while you were doing this very personal thing, since I am your business partner, to know that I got a little teeny bit of that room was very touching to me. So, thank Oh, yeah. You. I mean, I got I sent my mom a text message immediately. My dad thought my phone had been hacked. He was like, I think somebody's taking your phone. I was like, no, just <laughs> just loving on you. And it was funny because when I was telling somebody the next day, like, oh, I sent all these love bombs. I sent all these text messages. And they were like, well, how do people react to you reconnecting? And I was like, I wasn't reconnecting. I sent 25 text messages because that's how many people I have in my life every day who I just love and like who are supporting me and, you know, all my girlfriends. But it was I had this ability to sort of you know, name things that and just express things that I think would have felt a little vulnerable, a little hard. And also you just need a moment to do that. And it's like I had this kind of funny way to be like, I'm here on this self-exploration journey and this is what I need to tell you. Um, we don't have enough time, I think, to just say, not just I love you. I think a lot of us reflectively say, I love you. I'm grateful for you. But to just like really get in there and say like, this is what you've brought to my life. This is the very specific thing that I feel flowing from you to me right now was really, really powerful. My sweet, sweet beloved husband, who was a little worried I would go take this trip, and then, like, move to the mountains and abandon our family. Quite the opposite. Instead, he got stuck on FaceTime with me until 2 in the morning. <laughs> Just for me to be like, we're so lucky. Do you understand how lucky we are? Like, we love each other, like, working out some stuff. Because it's been hard the last few months with Felix's diagnosis of diabetes. It was incredibly stressful. Um, and we're sort of coming up for air right now. And this kind of happened at a nice point where we were coming up from air. And we could just say, man, look at this thing we've gotten through. And what have we learned? And what could we work on a little bit more? And what could we just give ourselves a break about? I read Laura Tremaine's email like the next day where she said she got that message walking the labyrinth that said, you're not doing anything wrong. And I thought, man, I do spend a lot of time like worrying about what I'm doing wrong. And just have that moment and be like, hey, there's so much going right right now it was really, really powerful and beautiful. I love that. So I just want to take away from that power and beauty for a quick second and go back to the fact that you <laughs> all by yourself went to a house uh -huh. for the purpose of drug use in Denver. Uh -huh. And I'm wondering if you had any moment where you thought, oh, was this a good idea? I did. Listen. Okay. So y'all know my husband is an Enneagram 6. He catastrophizes. So he was worried. He was concerned. I didn't even think I'd like I talked to this woman who leads these groups on the phone. She was 
so lovely, and I just trusted her immediately, and I hadn't really thought about it, but other people's anxiety started to infect me for sure. I had a friend who was definitely convinced I was going to get my kidneys sold. Um, So, of course, I texted her Saturday morning and said, I am here, and I have both kidneys, and I just wanted you to know that. But that it started to get to me, and I thought, is this a dangerous thing to do? And then I was just talking about it with Nicholas, and he was concerned, and we were kind of walking through it. And I said, look, you know, I am going to go into this process— And I'm pretty good at reading people. And if the second I walk into this space and I don't feel safe, I will leave. I think it was best that I wasn't doing like a visual psychedelic where I felt like I would be out of touch, like, you know, whatever. And my friend who had recommended this to me, who lives in Denver, we like kind of got on the phone and she was like, I'm on the ground. I'm here all weekend. If you need anything, you call me. I think that helped Nicholas feel like more safer about the process, that there was somebody close by. Because he was like, you're so far away. That's what kind of freaks me out. But everybody at the house was like, you're so brave. Like, this is your first time. You're here by yourself. Like, you you sort of see your decision reflected back in other people's eyes. And you're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, I guess this is kind of a wild thing to do. But, you know, there's also a part of my personality that the second I feel a little fearful about stuff, I kind of lean in. Not in an unsafe way. Like, I don't do dangerous things. But I definitely love sort of vulnerability and sort of leaning into this vulnerability um, exercise. And that's definitely what this was. So you had that euphoria the first night, lots of loving texts. I was told there was going to be a nourishing soup offer. There was. I'd like to hear about the soup. There was a nourishing soup. I am much more interested in in exploring nourishing soups than drugs. So this is where your interest aligns with mine. Yes, there was a nourishing soup served at midnight. This is why I trusted this woman immediately because she was like, we serve a nourishing, like grounding soup at midnight. And I thought, you are my people. And so, yeah, there was, it was a lovely sort of like broth-based ramen situation that was really delicious, as was the breakfast the next day. And then what happens? You have breakfast. How are you feeling at breakfast, by the way? Like, how long do you feel this in your system? Because I am so hypersensitive to stimulants, like I did not sleep well. It slept like I'd had a you know, coffee way too late in the day, but like a little worse. So I felt a little jittery, a little shaky. I had the breakfast. I felt better. I started feeling tired. I took a nap. But before that point, you have an integration time where everybody comes together and they talk about what they felt, what they were working on, what they realized about themselves. Um, And you sort of just share that in sort of an open circle communication. In much the way right before we did it, we had an intention setting and we talked it through. And then afterwards, you sort of integrate it which was really, really nice to have that. That's what also was appealing to me is that there's like all this time to help you process the experience. Okay. So you eat breakfast, you process. I took a nap. Yes. You took took a nap. nap. What else Mm -hmm. did you do? And then I slept for like two hours and then I woke up and then I kind of panicked because the time, the window on which you can eat beforehand was closing. So I went and I like ate a bunch of food and then you do it again. And then you set your intention. You know, everybody kind of talks through and then you, and it's really interesting, um, sort of the the person in charge. There's many people who come who have done this before who do not take anything. So like there was a an energy work, body work woman there. And actually right before the second time, I did some energy work, which was really cool. And then you kind of talk through, like, what you want to experience. Is there anything different? Do you, do you like how it went the before? And there's a lot of um, sort of gradations of she's very experienced as far as, like, what she can offer you. It's not like everybody's taking the exact same thing. So, obviously, I took a much lower dose because it was my first time. And can you stop right there and tell us, how? To, like, how did you physically ingest it? It was a pill. Just a little capsule. Just a pill. Okay. Just a little teeny tiny little bit of herb in it. Yep. That made me feel safer, too, that she was like, you know, she was a, there was an expert here that understood that was helping you adjust your experience. And so then, yeah, then you take it again. 
And this time I took, I told her, I was like, the other one was like a lot of stimulant. I'd like to take something that's a little less like stimulating. (laughs) And so I took that. And this time I didn't sort of like the first night I sort of retreated into my space and was texting and talking to Nicholas and did not really engage with the group. But the second night I ended up in really deep conversation, which is sort of the experience everybody else was having. They were like very engaged with each other. And they said like everybody's a little different. Somebody, some people retreat, some people engage. It just depends. And so the second night um, I had a really long like really long, like three hours probably, really amazing conversation um, with a woman who was not partaking that night. She was just there to support people, which I think is really nice. Like they they find this experience so incredible that they just show up to support other people having it and just engage with people. It's not like you see that with alcohol. It's not like sober people are like, I'm going to go hang out with some some people who've been drinking. You know, <laughs> like that's not what's – you don't see that a lot. And so that was really, really great to just talk to her and listen to her and kind of have – feedback with her. I also had a conversation with a, another man that evening and had just sort of like the, you know, in touch with my childhood. And there's just a lot of time I lot to think about because, again, my my brain is so present and sort of forward momentum that that's a really powerful momentum for me. And so I thought I don't have a lot of time and space or just sort of like psychological capacity to sit and really think about like, me as a little girl and what I felt about being grown up and what's it like now. And I I was thinking about how powerful that is in relationship to my boys. And I think it's this weird trap as a parent because you have your babies and you don't remember what it's like to be a baby. That's not available to you. And so you sort of get stuck in thinking about them as only your lens as a parent. And so by the time they're at an age where you do remember how old it was to be that age, to be, let's say, five or seven or eight or however, you're sort of already in that framework where you're only looking at them as a parent. You know, do you know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I find it difficult to remember, like, I was Felix's age. How did I feel when I was seven? What would seven-year-old Sarah and Felix do if they were playing together? <laughs> like, like, what would that be like? And I, I just, I find that sort of when I was thinking about that night and sort of allowing myself in that space as a little girl, I think also because I I like to be in control. And so I don't like to think back to the time when I was not in control of my surroundings. And so that was really helpful and just engaging with people in a way that who don't know you and who can say things that kind of can unlock a little bit for you. Um, I was talking to one of the women there and I was saying like, I was an only child and it was really hard. And that's always the lens at which I went through being an only child. And she said basically, yeah, but you clearly have a great relationship with yourself that allowed you to connect to all these other people in your life. And you did that because you're an only child. And I said, you know, you are right. Like, that is true. I was an only child. I spent a lot of time by myself. And I got really, really comfortable with myself. I have a really great relationship with myself. Um, And that allowed me to sort of connect with Nicholas at such a young age and do all these other, you know, form all these other relationships. And so, you know, just having those moments where you're just a little bit more open to insight and a little bit more vulnerable to say, I don't do this because it's scary, but I can do it right now. So do you see this as like a therapy-like experience just in fast forward? Is that kind of what you were looking for? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that that's how a lot of people describe it. I've heard people describe psychedelics as like five years worth of therapy in one night. And, you know, I, I think that's a pretty good explanation. Like it just sort of breaks some stuff open and it really does quiet your ego in a way that allows you to sort of explore topics think through things, feel feelings that maybe are a little too intense when your ego's all the way awake to really process and work through it. And I'm in, listen, I think that it's relevant to our work. I had a lot of 
sort of thoughts and aha moments surrounding politics and how people move through the world through this experience and all these things that you get stuck in one rut. You get, you know, that's what our brains do, right? They form these neural pathways and they get really deep. They get really, really deep in, in some ways. Like they're either overactive and you have anxiety, they're underactive, you have depression. But our brains are so much more than that default mode network. There's so much more capacity there. That's why you can visually hallucinate, right? And I think his book is really fair and open and honest about like, you're not creating anything new. You can really, even with psychedelics, like set the expectation and have a certain experience. Um, it's just, it's like you're you're kind of going back to being a toddler. Just you're allowing more information in, in a way that we categorize and shut it off and learn to do that as adults or else we'd be walking around with toddlers with our mouths hanging open like, oh my God, what's that? Like all the time, you know? And so he does a good job in the book of explaining like, because he kind of struggles, I think, as a highly intellectual person of like, well, then what's the point? If it's not, we're not connecting to something like deeper, we're really just in our own brains, then what are we doing? And I think he... And why I was ultimately convinced comes to the point of like, well, because our brains are powerful and there are some other tools in there we can tap if we can just take a moment to quiet that default mode network and and step out of those deeply rutted neural pathways. That all makes sense to me. And I will also tell you that I have felt anxious about having this conversation on the podcast because Mm -hmm. the umbrella of drug use contains so much and contains so much suffering. Yep. And I wonder how you have processed that within yourself and what you would say to people who have not read Michael Pollan and who have not heard something yet that they think, well, it still makes sense to me, given all that we have experienced in this country around drug use. So how how are you thinking through that? No, I understand that. You know, I have family members in recovery. I have addicts close to me. And I think it's really hard. You know, I I would encourage everyone to do as much reading about this as they can because it is coming. There are, you know, phase four trials of either microdosing psychedelics or exploring what they can do for people with PTSD or, you know, medication-resistant depression. So I think it's, you know, it's it's something that is going to become more and more part of the conversation around mental health in this country. It already is. And... You know, some of the mistake we've made around drugs in the past in this country of lumping them all together, right, and thinking they're all equally bad. I think we have all reached a place in this country where we've decided marijuana is not equally bad to crack, right? Like, there are they are different drugs. They do different things. And I think that the more we can understand that and not reflexively just sort of react to anything that, you know, sort of falls under the umbrella of drugs, the better off we'll be. Because, you know, when you shut down the conversation, especially around young people um, who I don't I don't think should be doing some of these drugs. And I think that's sort of the the risk. And I think that's what people are reacting to is because it becomes it becomes like, well, if it's okay for older people to do, is it okay for a 16 year old to do? But there's a nuanced way to talk about that. Of course, it's not. We know that there's different risks along sort of your your lifespan and what's happening and what you're engaging with, including alcohol and cigarettes and all these different substances. And so I get it. And I think it's hard and I would never want to encourage. And I haven't quite found the words for how I'm going to talk to my own kids about this. You know, they know I left town. They don't know why. Um, I'm going to work on that because I, I know that's a delicate, delicate conversation I want to have with them. I don't want them to hear from me that life is to be escaped through substances. <laughs> 
we talked to them about that. I mean, we have pretty open conversations about alcohol and other drugs in the community and kids that are experimenting with them. And so um, I get it. I get it. I think it is, you know, whenever we're sort of broaching this this new territory um, in our culture surrounding a substance, which I think we absolutely are doing right now with this substance and others, it's a delicate balance. But I don't I don't think just because it's delicate and hard and vulnerable and we're sort of working through some past harm doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. You mentioned age, but I know that what you mean is something a little bit deeper than age. What kind of scaffolding do you think a person needs to have in place in life to get the most out of an experience like this? I think that's hard. I mean, being with a group with very diverse life experiences than I do, I think that there are people who have some real trauma that this can help them with. But I think for, you know, for me, as as someone who was just in middle age and who's done a lot of work on myself and thought, is there a little bit more I could do here? Is there a little space for a different type of work? You know, I told my therapist, who was very supportive, might I add, that, you know, I knew intellectually that we build all these popsicle stands and that they're just popsicle stands to make ourselves feel better. But I wanted to really feel that and not just think it. And but you have to I think so much of it is like you have to build the popsicle stands first. You can't skip the popsicle stands. <laughs> like, you know, Richard Ward talks about this, right? We we build up our ego and then we break it down. But you gotta build the ego first. You gotta build the identity first. You have to go out there and you know, do a job. You and I were not going to graduate Transylvania University in 2003 and start pantsuit politics. That yes. was impossible. That was impossible for many, many different reasons. And it's hard to convey that to people and to especially to young people because I think we put this pressure to, like, find your passion and, and uh, escape your trauma and heal yourself. And it's like, man, you just got to live some life to get there. You just have to live some life to get to a space of, you know, whatever you want to call it religious awakening, enlightenment, connection, whatever. Like, there has to be some life lived in there first. And, I mean, the truth is that's not always attached to age. Some people have lived a lot of life by 18 years old. Heck, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein when she was 18 years old. (laughs) Like, there's a lot there, and I think it just depends. But I do think it is – I I would be careful. I would be careful because I do think – the younger you are, the more there is a risk that you are, you know, I said I was just trying to get five years of therapy in, in a night, and I that that um, productivity is appealing to me, the efficiency there. But you can't escape some of the stuff when you're when you're younger that's like you're you just have to live it and you have to take some time to make the mistakes to undo them, you know, or learn from them, I guess. So I'm interested in what takeaways you have from this experience that would apply more broadly. What do you feel like, aside from sort of your deeply personal insights, you want to share with the audience about the things you uncovered? I mean, I think the first night, just feeling profoundly how people in my life, especially family members who are different, who've made different choices, whose politics are different than mine, But just letting that quiet and just see that they loved me and they were loving me the whole time the best they could. And I think there's a lot of people in our lives that are like that, that we just get swept up and it's hard to live with each other. It's hard to live amongst each other. And the living can sometimes distract us from the fact that the loving is there, too. And I think that that was really wonderful and sort of powerful to feel. And I think for me, again, it was just that that 
time frame that this forward momentum of life. And look, I think the pandemic in this way was an experience like that for people, just that hard stop to the momentum of everyday life and the status quo that gave us a minute to look around and go, wait, 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 wait. You know, and I don't I didn't have any, you know, major I don't I need I don't need to rethink my marriage or my career. So I don't have these big things that some people are exploring. I'm really happy um, in so many ways. And so to have that moment to think back on um, on that little girl who wanted what I have right now was really powerful. It's like hard to think like sometimes we look around and we, we're living lives that, you know, our eight-year-old self or our 13-year-old self was so hungry for. And some of it's just like being in control as an adult. And some of it is out there getting to try the things you wanted to try and live the life you wanted to live. And, you know, I don't think I'd I liked that I had that that real moment to feel like she wanted what I have. Um, and that's re- that's an incredible thing to think about and to feel and to sort of experience. Um, and so that was really lovely. And then I don't have to sort of feel that hustle, feel that that forward momentum of like I'm trying to get somewhere in a lot of places um, in my life. I'm already there. And that's that's an incredible gift. That's not something to – I'm not doing anything wrong, right? I'm just – I'm living the life in a lot of ways that is such a blessing and that I've always wanted. And that's a really I'm, – I'm very thankful for my – little experience to give me that insight. Yeah, that's a lovely conclusion to something that a lot of people think of as like a quest mm-hmm. for it to bring you back around to, wow, I'm, I'm really happy where I am. That's yeah. nice. And that's because we have we get those messages all the time. Like there's so much of our culture that tells us you're missing something. You're, you're something is missing all the time. You know, you're not happy enough at work. You're not happy enough here. You're missing something. You're missing something. And it, it was nice to just have a moment to feel like, no, no, you're not. You're not missing. You're just living. And that's not a um, sort of goal to reach or a destination to claim. It's just an experience. That sounds so woo-woo. I hope so many members of our audience are not like rolling their eyes at me right now, but that's what it is. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. 
Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code podcast15. No, I told you, if I had to do it again, I think it would be a much more profound experience if I could do it in a big old group of like you and Nicholas. I think my mom would even be down and like a bunch of my close friends. What do you think? You want to do it? No, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. I appreciate that compliment. I do not, in my rejection, wish to reject the spirit of that question. So thank you for the question and no thank you on the invitation. (laughs) No, it's just um, nothing about mind-altering appeals to me. At this moment in my life, I'm not going to rule it out forever, but at this moment in my life, you said a couple of words that I was like, nope, I'm still out. Stimulant is one of them. Yeah. I do not want mm-hmm. that physical sensation in my body, mm-hmm. especially having just gone through some weird heart feelings. Yep. I don't want any yep. more of that. I feel you. I like the idea of how do I create more flexibility around my neural pathways. I like that a lot. I would like to do that some other way. Like I, I really want a long, silent retreat. I think that might have a similar effect, just like changing my senses pretty dramatically and not just not talking, but no input, no reading, no listening to anything, no watching anything, just being. I would really like to try that. That's about as far as I would like to push myself at this particular moment. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the, like, psilocybin has a stimulant effect. I think that's a different thing. But then, of course, you'll have visual hallucinations. Now, I will say this. 
Um, I learned about Kana from a friend, actually, who was not with me, <laughs> that, you know, it, they call it nature's MDMA. And MDMA is different. I think it, I don't know if it produces more serotonin or what, but this particular herb just blocks the reabsorption. So whatever serotonin you have just lasts longer, which I thought was kind of cool. It's like you already had it. You're not like really changing your brain chemistry. You're just kind of letting it sit for longer. And so, I, you know, but I get it. I mean, I, I will not be doing the the stimulant again. And it was really funny because there's a lot of like, listen to your body. And I was like, if I'm listening to my body, my body's saying, why did you take this stimulant, sister? Um, so, I mean, I, again, I drink like a cup of coffee in the morning. So I'm super, super sensitive to that. But I think our brains are are just chemistry. I'm trying to I'm trying to think about this, like what people always say about food. Nicholas says this all the time. When we talk about, you know, like processed food, he's like, all food is a process. An apple is processed. It's just processed by a tree. Or, you know, like there's a, there was a really good article I read about like formaldehyde. And they're like, oh, for, avoid formaldehyde in your food. Well, there's formaldehyde in an apple. Like I'm just trying to remember like our, there is so much chemistry going on in our brain. And it is delicate and you can mess with it. No doubt about it. You know, there there is a long, long, long human history of cultures taking herbs and psychedelics and substances to allow themselves to sort of open up those neural pathways. And so, because that's just, that's what our brains are, right? There's just all this chemistry. That's the question Michael Pollan is playing with. Well, it's our brains are doing it anyway. Like, are we doing anything special? Are we learning or seeing anything new or special? Or is this just brain chemistry? And so it is, it's an interesting conundrum. Yeah, I do think that's fascinating. The other piece of this that I am kind of interested in is the group processing yeah. aspect, which I think would be very hard to get to without some kind of special component inserted. Right. I was thinking about when I went to Kentucky's Governor Scholar Program between my junior and senior year of high school, you participate in this exercise called Seminar. And seminar is a little bit like group therapy. I don't know yep. if the GSP folks would appreciate me characterizing it that way. And it <laughs> might be that I characterize it that way because I was real broken when I went to mm. Governor Scholar. I had just gone through my car accident and I was very, very sad. I was just very sad while I was there. But we would do the kind of exercises, like it was a lot about philosophy and ethics. We would do the kind of exercises like the world's ending. Here are these 15 people. Only seven of them can go on the ship or whatever. Who are you sending yeah. and why? And we would kind of get to all of our biases and what had we learned about right and wrong in the world. And I loved that. And I thought that was the most powerful aspect of the experience that I had there. And those are questions much more interestingly answered at this point in my life, I think. Yeah. I, I would love to talk with people my age about those kinds of questions and, and older people especially. Yep. And there aren't a lot of spaces to do that. And I do think it's kind of like a bummer to think about that you would need mm -hmm. some sort of uncovering of everyone to allow for that sort of conversation. Um, but I I also am interested in finding those places where you can kind of sit around a fire and stare at it and think deeply and yep. and walk out of the weird things that our insecurity just causes us to do when we're with other yep. people. Well, and I think that's what people are trying to capture when they drink together, right? Absolutely. Like there's a lowering of inhibitions, but, you know, you're, there's also a lowering of, like, consciousness. You're, you're, you know, you're kind of dully, so I can't talk, you know. 
And so I think that we're all trying to find that. There's a reason that this group exists, that people want to come together and, and be vulnerable and and understand what each other is going through and be able to speak out loud what they're going through without all that editing that we do for mm-hmm. each other. That's why therapy is, is good because you don't feel like you're editing. You feel like you can just be honest and say what you're thinking and what you're going through. And we absolutely need more space for that. Um, We absolutely need places for vulnerability and for people to say, I feel broken about this or what does it mean? What do we do all that? I think the only thing I kind of push back in the experience is because I have this amazing community with you and our listeners who are always willing to say, okay, but what does this mean? Not just for me. What does this mean for everybody? And there's a very individualistic undercurrent of some of this, like you're just unearthing yourself and your own journey and your own creativity and your own passion. And I think that can be kind of toxic. Like, I think there's this, like, we need each other. Like, the way you unearth yourself is in relationship with other people in so many, in good ways and bad, right? In the middle of the night on Friday night, I was talking to Nicholas, and I was talking about my my trigger word is abrasive. I don't like it when people call me abrasive. And I was saying, like, I need to let that go, and I need to make my peace with that. And he's like, well, it's always funny to me. You say all the time. We need to rub each other's rough edges off. And he's like, what does that but an abrasive? <laughs> like, what rubs roughness off but an other abrasive? And I was like, oh, man, you're right. Like, and that's what I've learned in this this community and with you is that, you know, you have to show up in a way and, and feel responsibility to the people you're in that. I think we want that vulnerability and that connection with no ongoing responsibility to each other. And I think the ongoing responsibility is where the work happens. I think the reason... We love each other and we love our listeners is because we feel responsibility to one another. And I think that's what that's where trust is built. That's where we learn and we grow and we're on this journey and we're going somewhere instead of sort of cycling through the the process over and over again. I think that's what's so powerful. Yeah. And I don't want to go out in search of that with it yeah. with a group of strangers, right? Yeah. The kind of conversation I am seeking at this point in my life. I want it to be with people to whom I have ongoing responsibilities and who have ongoing responsibilities to me. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it even harder to get to, right? Because the stakes yep. get higher. It feels riskier. It feels more vulnerable. But I think that's where so much of the Enneagram conversation comes from. You know, people get annoyed with those of us who enjoy a good personality assessment or other <laughs> tool. But all that is is an announcement to the world of like, I want to be understood and I want to understand myself the best I'm capable of. And I want to understand other people the best I'm capable of. And we're all looking for that. I think about how many emails and comments we get that begin with the words as a people Mm. are constantly announcing like what it is about them that they want to be understood as they're about to say their thing. Yep. And sometimes I kind of bristle at it because I think you are welcome in this discussion without being a lawyer, ophthalmologist, you know, teacher of of English as a second language. Like, whatever it is that you're telling me, I don't need your credential. I'm still interested in what you have to say. But it is just another way of saying, no, I I really want to be known. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is a lot of, like, wandering through the world feeling unknown. I was incredibly yeah. lonely before we started doing this work together. And and it's not a surprise to me at all 
that finding deeper conversation with you has enabled me to have greater friendship in my life. It's just not surprising. Mm. And closer connection to some of my family members. And there is a spiraling effect, right, once you start to allow people in. And so I'm interested in ways to accelerate. I mean, it sounds like this was an acceleration of, of that sort of therapy process, right? I'm interested in acceleration of deepening my understanding of myself and of other people and our relationships. I just would like it to be in a different form for this particular moment. Yeah, I think there's an idea, too, that it just changes everything forever. And when you start to say, like, I think I'd like to explore this, you would be shocked how many people go. People who just, you're living a normal, everyday life next to you that go, yeah, I've done it. It was great. I learned a lot. And then they just went back to their normal lives. Like, I think there's this idea that's like, like my husband was afraid. I'm going to go, I'm going to drop out. You know, what is it, the the famous uh, phrase from the 60s, like, tune in and drop out. Um, but I, you, the more you hear from people, the more you realize, like, no, that's not what's really happening. People are yeah. tuning in, they're having their moment, and they're going back to raising their kids. It doesn't feel like crossing a Rubicon or something to me. No, it's, yeah. It is the physicality of it that mm-hmm. scares me. Yeah. Again, our bodies are tougher than sometimes we give them credit for. It's really funny. I think in some ways you and I are more comfortable with the vulnerability of, like, conversation and less willing to play with any vulnerability around our bodies. I know I am. You know, like, the, when 100%. we were having the hardest, it freaked me out. And I think other people are the exact opposite. They will push their bodies. That doesn't bother them. But any vulnerability around sort of their heart or their spirit or their conversation psychology really freaks them out. I guess you got to find some steadiness in whatever realm most comfortable to you. Well, isn't that the truth for everything? Mm-hmm. <laughs> find a little steadiness. I hope that we do that here. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you, Sarah, for being so open about this of part of your life. We'll be back with you here on Friday. Until then, have the best week available to you. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Linda Daniel. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Emily Neasley. The Pettins! Tawny Peterson. Tracy Putoff. Sarah Ralph. Jeremy Sequoia. Katie Steigers. Karen True. Annika Uveline. Nick and Elisa Vallelli. Catherine Vollmer. Amy Whited. Jeff Davis. Melinda Johnston. Michelle Wood. Joshua Allen. Morgan McHugh. Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller.